1: 未来は科学の発展
2: Welcome to the Kyoto Prize Symposium. I'm Pradeep Khosla, Chancellor of UC San Diego. Today, we are coming together to celebrate the Kyoto Prize honorees. The Kyoto Prize is Japan's highest private award for lifetime achievement in the fields of advanced technology, basic sciences, and arts and philosophy. Awarded by the Inamori Foundation, the prize is presented to individuals and groups worldwide who have significantly contributed to the betterment of mankind. The Inamori Foundation and UC San Diego share similar missions. Our world-class faculty collaborate to advance revolutionary discoveries across multiple disciplines. Together, we drive innovations that advance society and drive economic impact. During this symposium, we have the distinct pleasure of hearing from three Kyoto Prize laureates. First, we will hear from Dr. Andrew Yao, this year's recipient of the Kyoto Prize in Advanced Technology whose life work has revolutionized the field of information science worldwide. I'm delighted to hear him speak and learn more about his groundbreaking work. Honored guests, it is my sincere pleasure to welcome Dean Al Pisano, the Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering, who will tell us more about Dr. Yap. Al, on to you.
0: Thank you, Chancellor Kosla. I'm Al Pisano, the Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering here at UC San Diego, and I am pleased to present UC San Diego computer science professor, Russell Impagliazzo. Russell is the perfect person to introduce Professor Andrew Yao, who is the 2021 awardee of the Kyoto prize in advanced technology. Now I'll give Russell the honor of making the full introduction of Professor Yao. But first, I'd like to share a little bit of information about Professor Impayazzo himself. Professor Impayazzo is a world leader in computational complexity theory. And like many high impact computer scientists, he engages not only in the deep math and the deep theory but he also engages in real world use cases. Professor Impagliazzo has an admirable understanding of the scope and impact of Professor Yao's career, which I'm proud to say includes very fruitful time spent right here at the University of California. So without further ado, I present to you Professor Russell Impagliazzo. Thank you, Dean Pisano. I'm Russell Impagliazzo, a professor in the Jacobs School of Engineering's
3: Computer Science and Engineering Department here at UC San Diego. It is my privilege to be the host for Professor Andrew Chichi Yao, the 2021 Kyoto Prize laureate in advanced technology. Professor Yao's work is both wide ranging and foundational, and it is still inspiring cutting edge technological developments. His contributions range from cryptography and computer security to quantum computing. From the Yao principle, to the Dolev-Yao model of cryptographic protocol security, to the Yao next bit test, to Yao's millionaire problem, to the Yao class at Tsinghua University, his name is literally all over computer science. Much of what we do every time we use the internet was enabled by the concepts Andrew Yao introduced starting in the 1970s and continuing today. Professor Yao has also had a wide-ranging career starting with doctorates in physics from Harvard and computer science from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He then taught at MIT, Berkeley, Stanford, Princeton, and is currently Dean of Interdisciplinary Information Sciences at Tsinghua University. Among many other honors, he received the 2000 ACM Turing Award. Professor Yao was unable to attend in person, but it is my honor to now introduce Andrew Yao's Kyoto Prize Laureate Address and to discuss his work and career with him in the
0: interview that follows the address. Thank you and enjoy.
4: In my computer science career, uh, a lot of my work is really uh, building theories, I am really interested in fundamental questions because it's more philosophical. Uh, I, I think in science, one of the great pleasure is that we often encounter patterns, the sense of beauty in those patterns. I think it's the same thing in astronomy in the several hundred years ago, people already realized that the planets are orbiting the sun in uh, elliptic uh, circles. Those patterns are beautiful. This is quite similar to art. And I remember a famous saying uh, that there's nothing beauty unless there's some disproportionality in the proportions and some strangeness in the proportions. I like to work on hard problems. When you encounter a really hard problem, it's uh, useless to have many people together and you are just going around. So it's, it's often weeks and months or even years of thinking. I love hearing my wife playing piano and I actually can think uh, very well. I actually uh, do a lot of thinking when, when she plays. When I do deep thinking, uh, it's either in my study by myself. The other mode is that uh, I'll be walking outside. Just try to relax, Uh, let my mind flow freely. I've been back to China for, I think it's more precisely 17 years, and I've built an institute for interdisciplinary information sciences and also including a... uh, uh, by quantum information center. I think quantum computing is the future. Nowadays, there is uh, people, uh, many people were uh, yearning to go into the outer space. But actually, there is inner space that uh, is every bit as exciting as going outer space. Just imagine, these are such tiny objects. How is it possible for us to convey some signal to an individual atom or a molecule. But uh, physicists allow us to do it. We are now communicating with uh, our uh, brothers in the micro world, and we could give it a signal saying that, could you please do this for me? The idea that we, we now are capable of talking to them to me that's very very uplifting science is my religion and i love it Uh, essentially i am a scientist uh, all my life and i don't intend to change that Ladies and gentlemen, it's good to be here. First of all, let me say it is a tremendous honor to receive the Kyoto Prize. Knowing all the previous recipients and their brilliant achievements, I feel deeply humbled as to be considered worthy to join their ranks. It is a great pleasure and privilege for me to speak here today I would like to tell a little bit about where I came from, how I found computer science, and my journey through it all. In more detail, I will begin with a little bit about my background, then my early enchantment with physics, which led to my first career, and then how I switched fields by accident to become a computer scientist. Then I would like to give a synopsis of some of my work, what problems I consider and why they are interesting. And finally, I would like to pay tribute to several people who have greatly influenced my life and work. And then I'll wrap up. I was born in Shanghai, China in 1946. My family soon after moved to Hong Kong and then Taiwan. I grew up in a happy middle-class family. I had loving parents, two very close siblings. I was brought up with an emphasis in traditional Chinese values. In particular, it pays high regard to culture and learning. Happily and to my Parents' delight. I was an excellent student, straight A, throughout my schooling. I remember I loved math, science, and history as a kid. For example, I was fascinated by historical figures who showed unusual bravery and wisdom. Which scientists, like Galileo and Newton, they were my heroes also in just the same way. They give me a sense of awe and magnificence because of their brilliance and their courage to stand up for what they believed in. And I dreamed that this would also be my destiny someday. In the third year of my high school, I came upon a copy of notes by Lord Ellington on the theory of relativity. It gives a most vivid and simple derivation of relativity, and the argument goes roughly like follows. Experimentally, we have known that light has constant speed. And from this fact, one can derive with clever argument that our familiar concept of time cannot be an absolute universal concept. And that was something that uh, everybody had taken for granted for a long time. And this argument impressed me greatly. Physics can be read like a detective story and more imaginative than any of the clever episodes in Sherlock Holmes. I was really impressed and encouraged. In 1963, I went to college as a major in physics. And not long after that, Feynman's lecture notes on physics was published and the legend has it that Caltech wanted to radically reorganize their freshman course in physics and Feynman agreed to do it with the condition that he would only teach it once and this led to the legendary three volume series of Farman's lectures on physics. And reading the, the, the book uh, it was an eye-opener for me. Advanced concepts that are difficult to explain turned out to be possible to explain and derive using only elementary mathematics. That was really impressive that led me to see the depth of physics and its beauty. And actually, uh, this was the first time that I felt that I really understood the principles of quantum mechanics. And 30 years later, when I went to work on the field of quantum computing, Feynman's explanation on quantum phenomena still looks to me to be the most illuminating and useful explanation. And uh, that really settles it. Um, I I decided to uh, study physics after college. In 1967, I graduated from college, and after one year in the military service, I went to Harvard University to do graduate study in physics. And in 1972, I uh, obtained my PhD degree in physics under Professor Sheldon Glashow. And finally, I was a certified real physicist. And that didn't last long, though. In 1973, my wife, Frances, who was a PhD student at MIT at that time, introduced me to algorithms. The word algorithm was, uh, at that time, quite unfamiliar to most people, uh, unlike today. uh, And now it is in the everyday uh, vocabulary. And an early draft of The Art of Computer Program, Volume 3, by Professor Donald Knuth. Uh, and that's a book on algorithms, it was having limited circulation. And uh, what an amazing uh, masterpiece. It introduces a fascinating new science. And after reading the materials, I could not stop thinking about the research questions raised in the book. And it became an obsession so much that I soon Quit my postdoc job in physics in order to pursue graduate study in computer science full time. And uh, I remember that my mother was really uh, concerned because it seemed that I had given up all these years of work in physics. But my wife uh, was very supportive. And uh, so I became a computer science graduate student at University of Illinois. Uh, thanks very much to uh, Professor Xiao Lu for willing to take me on. Uh, now I would like to uh, tell you a little bit about my work. Initially, I focused on solving existing open problems in algorithms, uh, such as minimal spanning trees, B trees, et cetera. Uh, but not soon after I graduated, I started get interested in developing new frameworks and new theories for computer science. And over several decades I had the opportunities to work in several top rated universities, and uh, I have spent ten years at uh, Berkeley, Stanford, and followed by 18 years at Princeton, and uh, in 2004, I moved to Tsinghua University, where I now work. And uh, in, at each period, uh, I was doing somewhat different things, and uh, it was quite interesting that the topics that I focused on during these different periods, they had a lot to do both with the changing times and the development of the computer science as a discipline, and also with the environment uh, in that universities that I encounter. And uh, what I would like to do is to pick the three topics: the minimax complexity, communication complexity, and cryptography and NPC. Now, the way that I find best to do research is to find insightful, bold questions that are important. And if you find good questions, then you invariably will do good research, finding nice results that are applicable and important to the research world. And so. Uh, what I would like to do is for each topic, I will describe the multiple question that led me to the discovery and why they are important. The first one is about Mimax complexity in 1977, and this holds a special place in my heart because this really is the first uh, significant chance that I uh, formulated my own questions and found good ways for dealing with it. And uh, now, we know that algorithm is essentially equivalent to some sort of a recipe. For example, in cooking, you would say that I would uh, put three ounces of salt and uh, uh, some grams of meat, uh, step by step. And uh, in the mid-1970s, a new style of algorithms came to the attention of people, namely that uh, is called the randomized algorithms. In this novel type of algorithms, they incorporate stochastic moves. So it's just, uh, metaphorically, it's just like that instead of having a definite procedure of putting uh, two spoonsful of salt, you say that uh, I can throw a coin, decide whether to. Put two spoons of salt or to put uh, uh, a cup of red wine into the uh, cooking process. And so, for the traditional way of thinking, uh, this looks like a crazy way to do things. But in the 1970s, people have demonstrated that actually there are advantages in proposing, in carrying out algorithms in this fashion, and they led to some spectacular result in some cases. But the question uh, that people wasn't able to understand, to, to uh, analyze, is that, um, th- that what's the, the limitations of these algorithms? And so uh, this led me to the question that I asked myself. Which is better? Is this the randomized approach uh, just proposed, or it actually would be better just to take the traditional approach of looking at average case behavior, just looking at the data distribution, and uh, uh, tailor your algorithm for doing it. And but once you phrase the question in this the fashion, uh, then a most pleasing connection leaps out that uh, gives a lot of insight into randomized algorithm. When you look at the randomized approach versus the traditional distribution approach, uh, you can regard it as a game played between the algorithms and the data. The algorithm would uh, choose how to make statistic moves while the data, the adversary, can try to pick the distribution to make the life of the algorithms more difficult. Now, these two approaches... Meet exactly at their, their limit by the uh, game theory's minimax uh, principle due to von Neumann. And so this connection gives us the theorem that we would uh, like to prove, namely that these two approaches are uh, the same. And it provides a handle for understanding the randomized approach. And uh, the important thing is that uh, this novel type of algorithms at that time and now has become the default model for many cryptographic and uh, AI algorithms. And uh, there are reason that people now want to understand uh, the limitations of the randomized algorithms. And so um, in, in over 40 years, uh, the algorithms that I have found, they are still uh, regularly used by uh, many researchers in uh, solving their problems. And the second topic is uh, communication complexity that I raised in 1979. And let me explain the mathematical problem first. Alice and Bob are two people who are in separate locations. And they each hold a piece of data, say, x and y. These are n bit integers, respectively. And the question we would like to solve is that suppose they would like to compute jointly some quantity f. Uh, how many bits need to be communicated between them? And that's called the uh, now called the communication complexity uh, of this uh, particular uh, function. Uh, now this, of course, depends on what functions you are computing. For example, to, uh, co- to compute whether the sum of these two integers is odd-even, uh, clearly you only need two bits of communication. So each one just tell the other uh, what is the uh, is even or an odd, and then they can decide on the answer. On the other hand, if you want to compute something whether x is greater than y, then it would uh, take uh, n bits, and uh, you can see that the natural algorithm, uh, you really have to send the entire string from one person to another in order to solve the problem. And the uh, more the deeper part is that you have to realize and prove that uh, there are no better ways to solve this problem than just doing in this naive way. And in general, it's quite a difficult problem. If I give you a particular computation f, uh, it usually requires quite deep mathematical analysis to do it. And the, the reason for consider uh, this problem is because during the late 1970s, it becomes clear that there is a change in paradigm of computing from the mainframe computing everybody was uh, familiar with before that time uh, is gradually moving into network computing that we are now familiar uh, today, namely that uh, people are interested in solving problems in a distributed way, and many people would like to collaborate to solve a problem. And uh, so uh, this means that we have to adjust the model we used to have about computing, into the network model of computing. Um, In this new world, the communication cost is often the expensive part, namely that because you have to move data around, and that part is the more expensive part. And so the concept of communication complexity, as I uh, just described to you, is to model and reflect this change in the paradigm. And since the, this model is p- proposed and analyzed uh, communication complexity has found wide applications in areas ranging from chip design to data streaming. And the last uh, topic I would discuss in some detail is about cryptography and uh, uh, MPC. And in uh, uh, and, uh, uh, 1982, uh, I wrote three papers, and uh, these become uh, significant contributions to modern cryptography. And uh, the three papers deal with the Dolev Yao security model, pseudo random generation, and multi party secure computation or MPC. Uh, I will just uh, address this last one. MPC is a crypto graphic concept that would enable computation to be done on encrypted data. If you use MPC, it's possible to have multiple databases do any joint computations without leaking its own data. Namely, that essentially is saying that we can share data without seeing them. And let me explain it in a special case and I think it will become clear. I will use the a well-known example of the millionaire problems that was also raised uh, in in that paper. Uh, two millionaires, Alice and Bob, they wish to figure out who is the richer person without revealing any quantitative information. So Alice has X millions, Bob has Y millions, so the mathematical question is they want to to talk to each other uh, to decide whether X is less than Y. The question is, is it possible to carry out a conversation so that in the end uh, both Alice and Bob would know the answer who is richer, but without knowing anything else about the data on the other side. And uh, naively, uh, intuitively, you would think it's impossible. How can I find out something about the who is richer without revealing any information from either party? And uh, if you think about it for a few minutes, you will realize that it is impossible uh, if you adopt the standard security definition in those in 1982, namely that the uh, uh, Shannon's information theory, and you can prove it is not possible under that model. And uh, but I think that. Necessity is the, is the mother of uh, all inventions. And if you really have to do it, and you have to think of way. So if you think outside the box, then actually it turns out that it is possible. And by outside the box, what we mean is that you should uh, discard the very rigid and tight box that Shannon constructed uh, in this case. And you bring uh, Alan Turing into the picture. I will not say too much about it, but uh, basically, it turns out that if you relax the uh, security definition, but still a pragmatically very good definition, then it uh, can be accomplished. And um, in particular, I showed it, uh, this can be accomplished using what is now called the gobble circuit. And uh, during the past uh, nearly four de- decades of, of development, uh, the advances have been made in hardware and algorithms that uh, is now becoming nearly uh, feasible. And uh, there are many research work uh, in, in, in this regard ready for work and in fintech data trading and uh, joint drug discovery. And so there are other subjects that I work on. Uh, I'm not going to go into details. Uh, I just listed here in quantum computing, is a revolutionary approach uh, with promising exponential speed-up auction theory they would cast uh, amorphous economic problems in neat game theoretical framework and uh, uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, witnessing the incredible feat achieved by machine learning algorithms like AlphaGo and by the reason for success still mysterious. So all these were very uh, interesting Uh, new areas, and uh, uh, still under development. As you can see that I have worked on quite a number of uh, different subjects, and these diverse and colorful subjects, they uh, actually reflect not just my own personal taste, but it really is about the blossoming of the information science over half a century and the growing interdisciplinary connections that we see today. And finally, I would like to say a few words about the people that I have met. Now, during these many years uh, as a computer scientist, I had the good fortune of encountering many extraordinarily talented people. I was especially fortunate to have had two inspirational mentors. Uh, Professor Sheldon Glashow and Professor Knuth. Professor Glashow was my uh, physics PhD advisor at Harvard University. He was one of the uh, group of people who first predicted that uh, there, is a, there exists a uh, new particle called the charm quark. And uh, he was its most enthusiastic advocate. And uh, I learned from Professor Glashow that uh, in science, that uh, you have to be bold and uh, you have to be persistent in what you believed in. And uh, another thing that I learned from Professor Glashow is that uh, mathematics is uh, different from physics. For physicists, it's most important to be able to find out the truth about the physical reality rather than to insist on precise mathematical argument. And I think that pragmatic spirit helps me a lot in my research uh, afterwards. And there's one other thing uh, that's important that I learned from Professor Glashow. Uh, life should be fun. As a young student in the spring of 1971, I take it along on his sabbatical to uh, CNRS at uh, Marseille, France. And what a marvelous And charming city and that was also my first trip to Europe and later that summer he took me to a summer school in Sicily, Italy and again a most wonderful experience and uh, it's a very important lesson that Professor Glashow had showed me that a joyful life and intellectual, intellectual pursuit, can go hand in hand. Now I would like to, uh, uh, to mention uh, Professor Donald Knuth. As I said before, his book, when I read the Art of Programming, Art of Computer Programming, uh, it virtually changed my life. In this uh, master book, he literally created a new field of study that uh, also have inspired generations of new computer scientists. For example, I began my career in computer science by reading uh, his book and uh, solved some of the problems that he masterfully formulated. And later, uh, I was lucky to become his colleague at Stanford. It is well known that uh, Professor Knuth uh, is good in many things besides mathematics and computer science. He is an accomplished pipe organ player. He is also a composer, a fiction writer, among many other things. So he's very multi-talented but yet he is sincere and generous and he always sees the good things in other people. And to conclude, I have had a wonderful journey in computer science with many twists and uh, turns. And uh, I have found out that actually starting on the wrong foot may not be a disadvantage. Actually, the early training in physics turned out to be uh, most helpful to me in at least two regards. First, I learned what good theories look like. In physics, there are many good paradigms of theories such as relativity and quantum mechanics, and uh, that helps me a lot later on when we, when we need when I need to build uh, theories in computer science. And the uh, and the second thing uh, I benefit from physics is its pragmatic spirit. It says that. Uh, the important thing is that you want to solve the particular problem at at hand it doesn't matter what method that you use you should use learn or invent as the case may be with the goal that in the end the problem is solved computer in science the paradigm is the search for truth in this process, we sometimes discover patterns and beauty which can lift the human spirit. It also leads to innovations that can improve human conditions and prepare us for future human challenges. I agree completely with Inamari Foundation's vision that science and humanity shall work together for the betterment of mankind. Again, it is a great honor for me to receive the Kyoto Prize and a privilege to give this lecture, sharing my experiences with the audience. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. I'm Andrew Yao, joining you from Tsinghua University in Beijing. I wish I could be in San Diego today. San Diego is one of my favorite cities, very beautiful scenery and friendly people, and I have many good friends at UCSD. so it's a real delight for me to attend this Kyoto Prize Symposium held at San Diego, and I hope we'll have some interesting dialogue and discussions. But first, let me express my thanks to the Inmori Foundation for awarding me the Kyoto Prize this year. Mr. Kazuo Inamori dedicates himself to the betterment of mankind and stressing the essential roles for both science and humanities in moving toward that goal. And his vision touches me profoundly. And I feel both thrilled and humbled to join the list of distinguished laureates who have received this honor previously. I would also like to thank the Kyoto Symposium Organization and its Executive Director, Dick Davis, for inviting me to appear in this wonderful symposium. Also, I would like to thank the two universities, UC San Diego and Point Loma Nazarene University for co-hosting this symposium.
3: Hi, I'm Professor Russell Impayazzo from the CSE Department of UCSD, and I'm honored to be chatting with Dr. Andrew Yao of Tsinghua University, who is this year's Kyoto Prize Laureate for Advanced Technology. Andy, how are you doing?
4: Very good, Russell. It's great to see you here.
3: So in your career you've Moved around a lot, um, so you started in uh, uh, your undergrad was in Taiwan. You were you were born in Shanghai. Your undergrad was in Taiwan. You did your graduate work in the United States and uh, taught at a number of prestigious universities such as Stanford, Berkeley, Princeton, MIT, um, and then decided to go back to uh, China to. Uh, to lead the program at Shingma University. So have uh, these transitions been, uh, been difficult, or have they been uh, inspirational?
4: I think that uh, it's an uh, interesting adventure for me to move around, both in terms of the uh, subject that I study, and um, also in terms of the physical locations. Uh, I think that actually every move uh, has a a reason that uh, I'm actually pretty happy uh, to move around and uh, getting new experiences and doing new things. So uh, I don't think there's any difficulty. It's really a pure joy to be able to do that as an academic in the modern world.
3: That's great. Um, And you mentioned that you moved around in terms of topics. So you actually got your first PhD in physics and then went back and got another PhD in computer science. So was that a cultural shift that was difficult to navigate? What, is, what do you think is the difference between the culture of physics, a very established field, and computer science, a relatively young field?
4: Uh, I think that's uh, exactly why I moved from physics to computer science. Uh, over the years, uh, I realized that uh, I do my best work when I'm entering uh, a subject that is uh, still in the uh, initial stage. And of course, I didn't know that uh, when I entered uh, physics. And so when I got the chance of seeing computer science and all these open problems, uh, I got a feeling that uh, this field is really for me. And so there's no difficulty in moving because I was pretty sure uh, uh, I, I could do that better than the kind of research problems I worked in physics at that time.
3: Your work didn't only, like, solve other people's open problems. Uh, I think you shaped the area in many ways. So I'm reminded of your, your work on, uh, on characterizing probabilistic computation and also your work that was very influ- influential to me as a grad student in uh, on pseudorandom generated, it's actually a, a paper that I consider uh, a classic called um, on the theory and application of trapdoor functions. Uh, but I, I'm afraid that the, you know, what I would define as a classic is a work that everyone knows about, but no one has read. Um, <laughs> so this um, and, and so I knew about this work you know, it was just a few years before I was doing my own graduate work, and still everyone knew about this paper, but I didn't read it until uh, I was about to write my thesis and needed to look up some, some references, and when I read it, I realized how revolutionary this paper really is. There's what everyone knows about it, and what it contains, and what it contains is so much more than what everyone knows. It's, To my mind, it's a re-envisioning of information, the notion of information, in light of computational difficulty. That there's information that you know, information that you don't have access to, and information that you could have access to if you're willing to do a prohibitive amount of, of work to get it. Is that a fair characterization? And what were you thinking when you wrote this paper?
4: Uh, yes. Well, uh, Russell, thank you very much for uh, your appreciation of this work. I think that you are one of the the the, the people who really can appreciate everything uh, in that work. And uh, so it is true that um, it came at a uh, interesting time when the uh, uh, classical information theory and that the theory of computation uh, interact and uh, in a very natural way, namely because that uh, the, uh, the age of network computation was just starting in the late 70s and, uh, and early uh, 80s. So there were uh, really uh, people with great foresight that, that the future perhaps belonged to the network computing world. And uh, in that world, one have to do a lot of uh, new protocols so that uh, the electronic commerce uh, could prosper. And the the, the people have found out that uh, actually you have to marry the theory of computing with the classical information theory to be able to anything interesting cryptographically. And uh, so I think that was a big event and uh, it's lucky that uh, I happened to be there uh, together with many of, of our friends uh, at that time. So we will be able, we were able to do work in that direction. And uh, so my paper was uh, finished uh, within that framework and there were a lot of exciting things uh, that one can do when two great disciplines uh, interact and and so I was just putting things that I could thought of I I could think of at that time and um, so uh, I think that's the reason why it contains a lot of different threads of thoughts and uh, I'm so glad to uh, hear you uh, about uh, your understanding and appreciation of that work because uh, I think that's the most insightful and uh, uh, satisfying uh, uh, comments that I have heard about uh, about my, not only for that piece of work, but uh, I think that about uh, anything that I have ever done. So Russell, thank you so much because uh, you have done, a, really you are one of the top people in the area of uh, random number generation and cryptography. So uh, I think coming from you, uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm moved, and I'm happy to hear that. So I should have talked to you uh, more often yeah. in, in all the previous uh, 20, 30 years.
3: I have to say, you know, a lot of those 20, 30 years that I've been working, uh, a lot of my work is kind of commentary on, your, on that one paper. <laughs> um, so uh, even if we haven't been talking, we've had an uh, intellectual dialogue. Yes. Um, well, another another. Okay, so you mentioned that you know that you were thinking of the world where where uh, people were interacting on a network um, where um, information is distributed throughout the network, where people's identity is maybe not tied so much with their geography, with their geographical location as what they know and what information they have access to, and that's a really good description of the world today. But I think it would be it takes a lot of foresight to look at the world of uh, you know, uh, 1982 or even 1976, where you when you wrote uh, your paper on communication complexity, and uh, say that. That was the state of the world at the time did you like anticipate that the internet would be such an important part of today 's world, and did you uh, view uh, did you like foresee a future that 's similar to today 's where people are communicating like we are over long distances fairly routinely
4: uh, uh, i i 'm ashamed to say that that uh I didn't uh, expect anything this big at that time. I think at that time it was just uh, seemed to be an interesting new technology development in the uh, uh, computer science world. I think namely that uh, it was novelty to uh, uh, have this uh, Ethernet development and uh, the uh, uh, ARPANET uh and 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 people were already pretty uh, amazed at the ability to do email and uh, uh, so I think that uh there were a few people who uh, perhaps having seen that, but I'm not one of them that uh, could see that far uh in terms of the the internet uh development of today uh, uh, on the other hand, I did appreciate that the fact the development of the PC and the network uh, is a new computing paradigm. And so it will it, it would change a lot of things. Uh, but, and therefore, uh, for a theoretician at that time, uh, anytime there is some significant technological advance, it's a, a chance to do fundamental work. And, and uh, it's intellectually interesting to consider all the uh, 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 actually the deep problems uh, in connection with that. So I think that uh, in those days, and I was young, and I really couldn't see that far. But I was just like everyone else is trying to find some interesting, uh, challenging problems to uh, work on. And and uh, uh, only very later on, I realized that uh, it's a good habit to, f- to follow the technology, because that's what distinguished computer scientists, the theoretical computer scientists, for mathematicians, because uh, I think that uh, it's a very uh, fruitful and good idea for computer scientists to follow the technology and and uh, work on theories that's relevant for the new development.
3: So, in other words, you you're not clairvoyant; you just have amazingly good taste. <laughs> um.
4: Yeah, I think that 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 it, it it's probably my my uh, physicist background uh, uh has something to do with it because uh i think that in in physics people are uh, uh, very uh, uh pragmatic i think even uh, uh theorists in physics they are uh at their heart uh pragmatic people that uh, that it's not just how beautiful the theory is i think important point. Is that it should be relevant? It should it should have something to do with uh, the deep laws of nature, and you have to pay attention to experiments. I think that in that spirit, uh, I think that's uh, a culture that's very uh, 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 deeply embedded in 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 me. So um, I uh, I'm, I'm attracted not just by how elegant and uh, pretty the mathematics uh, involved is, but I'm uh, also uh, paying a lot of attention to uh, whether it reflects uh, the uh, pragmatic uh, ability for us to utilize it.
3: But there, there is like a very big difference between physics and technology, basic science and technology, which is in physics, you're kind of explaining what is, And technology is something we envision and create and can change. Do you think of that as like a a dual role that we play?
4: Yes, I think that that, um, uh, it is true that uh, in computer science, even the most uh, abstract uh, uh, theoretical computer science uh, could have a real impact in the world uh, within a few years, of course, it it it, it depends uh, very much on uh, the uh, particular subject. Uh, for example, in cryptography, I think it 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 it, it took uh, thirty years before uh, it reached the level where it's really uh, become essential in the uh, in today's world. Uh, uh, but in physics, I think that the the time between the uh, uh, conception of uh, quantum mechanics. It really took many, many years, perhaps a hundred years, to reach the point where we could think about quantum computing. So uh, I think there are similarities, and uh, but uh, and there are differences. However, I'm interested in what you said, uh, your comment about uh, about physics being a science that uh, is trying to describe nature. I think that that uh it is also starting to happen in computer science too, because uh we know that the man-made phenomena uh have actually created uh things that are very much similar to physical phenomena. For example, in the in internet, it's such a a big infrastructure that um uh, I don't think we we could characterize everything mathematically and try to control it. I think that that basically a lot of computer scientists are doing measurements and observations about the behavior of big net networks and also about the mass psychology of people who make use of the internet. So all these uh, have made that the study of computer science closer to natural science in that um, uh, sometimes it's uh, fruitful to uh, uh, look at it, from the point of view of a natural scientist, even more prominently, I think that uh, russell you you have worked on uh, 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 learning and uh, uh, and big software programs for satisfiability uh, that that type of uh, really very important practical work. And uh, so uh, we all know that uh, everyone is puzzled by the uh, uh, excellent performance of uh, deep neural networks, but but there really is not a very good explanation about it. So uh, I think this is another case that uh, the computer scientists, uh, many of us are doing now, is to try to look at it uh, with an eye of a natural scientist, namely that uh, here is a physical phenomenon, even though it's sort of man-made, but, but it's a really important physical phenomenon. That uh, we should try to understand it, and and uh, 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 that perspective actually, to me, is compulsory because I I don't think we should approach it uh, because it's a essentially a big nonlinear system, and and we know that uh, that it's almost impossible to try to find uh, extremely precise theory to describe it. So we have to be. Like a physicist, uh, so that we can find uh, mathematical laws to explain things at the right level, and and uh, because the ultimate goal of science, including computer science, is is try to do the best we can. I think some people have said that uh, I remember reading a long time ago is saying that politics is the art of the possible, and I think that that actually uh, uh, the computer science Uh, And machine learning actually is also the art of the possible. So we should uh, go beyond our traditional work, looking at algorithms, because now we are exploring algorithms uh, from the very narrow domain where uh, deep mathematics uh, dominates into a world where uh, all these practical problems that have to be solved and uh, perhaps uh, in principle not solvable with, within our traditional thinking. So um, I think that, that Russell, uh, we all have to become physicists and, and perhaps we already have.
3: Well, that reminds me uh, of the old joke, you know, I know it works in practice, but does it work in theory? <laughs> <laughs> so there are lots of things where where we have algorithmic techniques that have been successful like satisfiability, like machine learning, like simulated annealing and other heuristic methods uh, before before that, uh, where we have algorithms, they work for typical problems, but we don't really understand why all the time. Uh, don't have a a great theoretical explanation. Uh, this of course is a challenge to a theorist, but it's also a, a pragmatic matter. Because if you don't have a a real understanding of why your tools work, it's hard to optimize them. Yes,
4: yes, uh, exactly. I think that uh, that's why both the uh, experimentalists and the theorists, um, uh, both types uh, of researchers are necessary. I just, uh, I I would like to think it, uh, it, it's just like many of the uh, big discoveries uh, in the world. Uh, uh, I think that. When the Wright brothers first uh, successfully uh, launched the, uh, the the airplanes, I think that that they were just doing experiments. I think that they they didn't know about the uh, the deep aerodynamics uh, uh, equations and the theories be, uh, behind it. But uh, things de- develop. You have to you you have to establish a scientific basis so that so that you be able to um, design modern airplanes. Uh, uh, so that it can uh, it can really radically change the world. I think it's the same thing here. I think that that we are at a stage when the Wright brothers have discovered but uh, the but the, the the wonderful devices and, and we have uh, the scientists have have discovered the wonderful uh, uh, machine learning techniques and uh, uh, and 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 I think that now the theories has to catch up with the knowledge and uh, fortunately i'm not really uh, unhappy about it because uh, that, that we know that uh, that every human endeavor has its limits has its uh, regularity uh, i think for example in uh, medicine today uh, even though we have many wonderful drugs but i think that for most and for, or at least for many of them uh, we really uh, 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 are not sure about the precise mechanisms how the, how uh, at the molecular level and and but but nonetheless, even at this level of understanding, it's immensely important and and I, I think that that uh, we can take our time in trying to understand neural computations or even other type of artificial intelligence uh, algorithms to be developed. We we uh, don't need to solve everything within one generation. We uh, in that regard, uh, we have to be like mathematicians; that uh, we have to have patience.
3: So, uh, speak. So, you know, your your um, prize is for advanced technology, and in, you know, when you, it's good that you mentioned patience, because in some sense, your thinking was like well, in advance of technology. You know, we're you're saying sometimes we have to catch up with technology that we don't understand. Other times, technology takes a while to catch up with. Uh, it, theoretical ideas so um, I'm thinking of uh, things like uh, multi party computation uh, a great uh, intellectual idea that you introduced in the in the eighties uh, where you can compute with information without actually knowing that information in in some formal sense so to Two or more people can jointly compute uh, functions of what they, what they know individually without leaking their secrets to each other. Um, and that's, you know, a technology that we really need because uh, we all want to take advantage of, of uh, algorithms that optimize for our individual, um, private, taste and, and private information, like with personalized medicine. But we don't want to necessarily like leak that information to the whole world. Um, so that's something that I think that was like a brilliant idea um, and one that we really need, but where the technology is still catching up. The, the first implementations were around 2008, Fair Play. And still, many of the implementations are more of a prototype proof of concept than a full uh working tool, so has that frustrated you that technology has taken so long to catch up with that
4: uh well I think uh it it was not frustrating because um uh, I didn't expect that uh, the multi party computation could become practical for a long long time. I think that um in those days uh I was at heart a uh, almost you would say a pure Theorist. I um, uh, uh, work on problems uh really at at, at at that time mostly because of intellectual curiosity like uh, or I, I think that in that regard uh, I was a pure theorist at uh, that time so uh, I uh, work on that problem uh it's it, it's mainly because that 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 uh, uh, it uh, it surprised me uh that that uh it could be done i think that that um i often said that we we uh, to do good research we uh had to be uh sometimes uh dreamers uh mm-hmm. that, that to to think about things that are that seemingly impossible to do and and and, and, and i think that actually the uh, um, the uh, the public key cryptography was one such thing. That, uh, when it was invented, I think that uh, it just it just uh, boggled the mind. And and I think that um, in in the modern party computation, uh, I was following that good tradition uh, for uh, theorists. Uh, I, t- I think that uh, uh, when I thought of the the uh, p- possibility for two millionaires. To uh, uh, figure out who who the richer person is without revealing the the asset, I I, I thought uh, that it's something that uh, uh, if it can be generalized, it would uh, have uh, theoretically wonderful application. So I thought it was a very well motivated uh, uh, conjecture and uh, uh, work on it to uh, solve that problem, and uh, so. Uh, at that time, it, it was really, uh, I, I immediately understood that it would be many, many years, if ever, that the computing capability would be able to reach the level where this could become useful. And um, I think that actually, amazingly, after uh, 40 years, uh, now it really is starting to enter the realm of uh, possibility. I think that, uh, I think this type of thing, it's um, uh, a good illustration uh, of two things and uh, firstly that the uh, curiosity-driven research is essential and uh, useful Uh, and uh, uh, secondly that one has to be patient uh, about basic science research because uh, it might take many years uh, for it to be realized I think it's 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 uh, the, uh, I, I perhaps uh, uh, the most uh, uh, interesting thing about science is really uh, uh, to be able to uh, uh, have that kind of uh, 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 application. And in my mind, uh, the most wonderful thing about science is the ability to uh, uh, to to. Uh, to give some, uh, to realize some impossible dreams. And and so uh, that's something that I uh, very much enjoy doing.
3: So another um, project of yours that started like, uh, as I think theoretical speculation, but just very recently been um, started to be implemented is in quantum computing. So what got you interested in quantum computing and what do you, do you think uh you know uh is the future of quantum computing?
4: I think that um, quantum computing uh w- was started by uh by physicists and uh, uh, uh Richard Feynman had a very influential paper in 1981 that uh motivated uh the idea uh that one probably should consider using quantum mechanics to build computers and uh, uh, i started getting interested in it in the early 1990s and and the uh the thing that excited me uh and and, and also i think excited uh, 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 most people is that uh this really uh, was the first time in 60 70 years uh that the uh, 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 people uh, realized that there could be an alternative to the uh, classical way of uh, designing uh, computers. And uh, uh, certainly, nowadays, the computers work much faster than a Turing machine, but the principle was the same as in the 1936 uh, Turing's paper. However, quantum, quantum computer really is a different kind of animal it's uh, based on uh the law of uh, quantum mechanics which is very uh abstract and uh, uh i think that it's almost impossible to characterize precisely uh, uh except through mathematical equations and uh but it it it, it in principle it uh, does have amazing abilities like uh being able to uh, factor large integers, which is the basis for some really important uh, uh, cryptographic uh, uh, standard today. uh, But even more importantly, as as Feynman uh, uh, described in his paper, that that perhaps the most important uh, uh, intellectual foundation for the importance of quantum computer is that with a uh, a uh, with a practical quantum computer, it would be possible to simulate quantum mechanical laws uh, for example, like the simulation of the protein folding process
3: I'm going to brings you back to your yeah. statement about understanding why drugs work
4: yeah, I think that uh, so uh, that's very exciting it it is that the suddenly a new horizon is open upon us. And, and uh, presumably in some future time, we would be able to have quantum compu- uh, personal quantum computer sitting on our desktop. I think it's still a distant dream right now, but I think that the usable quantum computers, uh, uh, I think they would, uh, it, it looks good. I think within the next uh, 10, 15 years, I think that uh, we, we, we'll see really exciting development in the construction of quantum computers and the, the associated quantum computing industries. So it will so be exciting times because we have to do all the compilers, or the operating systems all over again.
3: In addition to mathematics and the uh, physical sciences, some of your recent work uh, touches on the social sciences in Uh, Auction theory and computational economics. Uh, What interested you in in uh, that topic?
4: I have heard about uh, this interdisciplinary area between economics and uh, and and computation many years ago, and and uh, it 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 did strike me even at at that time the concept of of the uh, uh, design. Of uh, i think it's technically called incentive compatible uh uh mechanism design uh but it was it it was uh, really uh interesting uh to me just from a purely computer science point of view but i didn't follow that up until more uh recently and and partly because that uh, uh, it seems that that auction has become uh, important in uh, uh, advertising on uh, internet, uh, that type of location, and and uh, so I uh, decided to um, uh, look up the uh, subject, and it happened that that uh, I had a chance to supervise an undergraduate uh, 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 project, so um, I uh, decided to. Uh, uh asked a undergraduate student to uh, work with me uh on a kind of open problem in in that area so that got me into uh, auction theory and i worked on it for the next uh, four or five years and uh, uh the uh, uh, my, my whole uh the the big impression on me is that i the, for the first time i really got to appreciate the beauty of economics, because uh previously I only knew that economics is a science for which that it's hard to predict at least the short term development of a large system and uh, uh but uh, after I uh got to understand the principle of economics more and the mathematical theory uh well, essentially the game theory behind it, I really got struck that that uh, it's amazingly beautiful uh, because it's, uh, I think for the same reason I, I mentioned before about things that seem to be impossible is that uh, f- such a complicated world and a complicated economic system, how can you have any theory about it? And, uh, uh, and amazingly, uh, game theory gave a, a, a plausible approximation to, uh, to, to, to the real world. And, 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 and the one can have a rational basis for, uh, uh, designing and guiding economic, uh, uh, systems. And, uh, also coincidentally, uh, the economics, uh, uh, things like Bitcoin, I think they are, they are going to, uh, 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 interact with computers in moving the world Forward, one has to have a integration uh, to some degree of the economics and of the uh, 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 game theory and computer uh, uh, algorithm design and uh, and also cryptography. I think that um, uh, that that all these have to work together um, in order to construct an efficient uh, economic system. For the future so uh, it, it, it it's also a again another new horizon is opening upon us for which we computer scientists can play a, a major role
3: when you went back to Tsinghua or to china to um to work at Tsinghua, you you started another challenge i think which is in addition to doing your own research you were institution building you were really Ah uh, creating uh, and you know helping um, create an environment where a new generation of researchers could thrive. Um, wh- what was your experience at this kind of challenge of the human challenge?
4: When I first uh, uh, came back to China, I had uh, uh, a, a, a very uh, uh, low ambition. I, I my, my main interest at that time was just trying to uh, uh, build up a uh, small group in uh, my specialty and uh, to be able to produce uh, uh, good PhD students. But uh, soon after, uh, I realized that uh, it's not possible to do it without a really big supporting system. And that got me into building an undergraduate program so that I could have good graduate students. And uh, uh, now in order to have a good undergraduate program, I have to build up a faculty. So um, I managed to get the Tsinghua University to support me to build a uh, institute from scratch uh, uh, That around the 2010. And uh, uh, the so the, the theme is really to build a for uh, institute based upon the kind of trent, tenure track uh, uh systems uh that's uh very much the standard in the, in the in the in the modern world and uh so i i defined the the focus of my faculty to be in the interdisciplinary area and and uh, so that means that uh but the, the uh, anything for which the computer science might interact with. So that would include, uh, so I hard people in, 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 in uh, uh, I hard physicists uh, to build quantum computers and um, I hard people whose training is in economics and the people who do computational biology. And uh, so build a environment uh, so that, uh, uh, that would be uh, the, the, uh, would do all the interesting things. Uh, Ten years from the time when I started the institute, and now it's 2020. And actually, I found out that um, I'm pretty happy to have built an institute from scratch to have now around 30 faculties, and uh, um, and and especially in recent years, we have uh, uh, been able to really hire top. Uh, rated young uh, faculty members, and so I'm uh, very excited about about that. And and building a, an institute has the challenges that I never had to face before because I uh, perhaps like you, I I uh, I I was at heart a really just a a uh, researcher and and uh, but uh, somehow uh, changing the environment you are naturally led into doing things. And uh, I think to put it in a positive light to discover abilities that I didn't know that I have.
3: So you've had this amazingly successful career as a researcher and as an institution builder, and uh, you've mentored so many students. Do you have advice for for students who are just starting their careers as computer scientists or as researchers
4: I think there are there are just uh, uh, two advice the The first one is that um, uh, you should you should follow your heart. I think that's the old adage I think that uh, you have to do things that interest you and excite you most and uh, uh, the uh, second is uh, uh, pay attention to all the developments not only just in computer science, but uh, it actually in all the sciences. And basically, uh, my, uh, my uh, I think the best advice I can, I can give to starting computer uh, scientists is that uh, you should first think yourself as a scientist, and then you could be a specialist in the computer science.
3: We're almost out of time, so do you have any closing thoughts that we should end on?
4: Yeah, I think the closing thought is that I I I think I have had a wonderful life, and I think that um, being in the academic world all my life, I think is the greatest privilege, and uh, uh, the greatest luck of my life. And because in this environment, I could have uh, good friends and colleagues like you, uh, uh, who we we really can 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 understand and talk to each other and and uh, 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 and enjoy uh, the most uh, interesting intellectual exchanges and I wouldn't give it uh, give that away for anything
3: well it's been really a privilege and a pleasure to talk to you
4: yeah russell it's uh, it's so wonderful I think that in the future we should we should do this uh, uh, even informally. Without the the uh, uh, the 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 need for um, a a prize, uh, but perhaps next time um, I can I can return the favor to uh, have a conversation with you on your prize-winning occasion.
3: Um, well, it would be a prize if you just came to San Diego and uh, <laughs> and we could talk in person.
4: Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Thank You.
1: 今後、